My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. On Holy Saturday, the church is silent. Christ has been taken down from the cross. The church is in mourning. There are no liturgical ceremonies today anywhere, no masses, no benedictions. Because the church is silent, because Christ is dead. And so in this way, the church remembers and reminds us of the crucifixion, of the redemption. We go to the great spiritual mysteries through physical signs and symbols. And so this emptiness of the church, this silence of the church has its message for us. It transmits to us the mourning for the death of Christ. And so you could say that the church is in mourning, the apostles are mourning, Mary is also mourning. At the same time, in this silence and this mourning, there's a great air of expectancy. Because throughout Holy Saturday, we're waiting for the great miracle of the resurrection, the high point in the whole of human history, where Christ is going to overcome death and overcome sin and overcome the devil and give rise to a great hope and optimism. And with that, the words of Christ on the cross are going to be fulfilled, it is accomplished. Christ will have won all the graces that are necessary for all the sacraments for all time. And so in some senses, you can say that Christ has achieved everything with that. All we have to do is to be faithful. 2000 years later, we have all the graces that Christ is one, as one. We just have to struggle and be faithful and try to be holy. And in this day of silence, this day of emptiness, the one focus of the church is on Our Lady. She keeps the faith of the church going on Holy Saturday. The apostles have faded away, but she tries to keep them together. And she's the one ray of hope, one ray of light in the whole horizon. And that's why throughout the history of the church, Saturday has always been seen as Our Lady's Day. Mary is the co-redemptrix. She's the co-redeemer with her son. She has stood beside the cross and a sword has pierced her heart. She understands and she suffers. Her son can no longer feel, but she can. And so to the very end, the prophecy of Simeon is fulfilled. Your own soul, a sword will pierce. And so we have this strange mixture in Our Lady these days of pain, of sorrow, of loss, but yet faith, 
and expectancy. They lower Christ from the cross with love and veneration. With great care, they lay him in the arms of his mother. And although his body is wounded, all wounded, his countenance is serene and majestic. And so we can slowly gaze with piety at the face of Jesus, as Our Lady would have done. Not only has he ransomed us from sin and death, but he's taught us to put the will of God above all personal plans, to live detached from everything, to know how to pardon, even when the offender has not repented, to know how to forgive others, to be apostles until the very moment of death, to suffer without sterile lament, to love men although one is suffering because of them. And so we're told in the way, don't hinder the work of the paraclete. Seek union with God and with Christ so as to be purified and feel with him the insults, the spitting, the blows and the thorns and the weight of the cross the nails tearing through the flesh, the agony of a forsaken death, and enter through our Lord's open side until you find a refuge there in his wounded heart. And there we will find our peace. In the act of thanksgiving after mass in the Roman Missal, we're told, let us look at Jesus slowly and in the intimacy of our hearts say to him, kind Jesus, hear my prayer. Hide me within your wounds and keep me close to you. Defend me from the evil enemy. Call me at my death to the fellowship of your saints that I may sing your praise with them through all eternity. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man, a disciple of Jesus with influence in the Sanhedrin, who has remained hidden while our Lord is acclaimed throughout Palestine. But now he presents himself to Pilate to take charge of the body of Jesus. That must have taken a lot of courage because we know Pilate was a butcher. He could have turned on Joseph of Arimathea, could have done anything. And Joseph is willing to ask for the greatest demand that has ever been made. The body of Jesus, the son of God, the treasure of the church, its riches, its teaching and exemplar, its consolation, the bread which will sustain one until life eternal. And so Louis de la Palma says in that moment, with his petition, 
Joseph represents the desires of all men, of the whole church, which need to keep Jesus eternally alive. And so in this disconcerting period, when all the disciples except John have fled, another disciple of great social standing who has not been present in the triumphant hours now comes forward. And so we're told with him comes Nicodemus, the same who earlier visited Jesus by night. He brings with him a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. Our Lady must have been very grateful for the help of these two men, for their generosity, their courage, their piety. And so the small group, which with Our Lady and the women who receive no special mention in the gospel, take charge of burying the body of Jesus. And they have little time because of the following day's feast. And that's going to begin at the sunset of this particular day. And so the body is washed with special piety. It's embalmed. The amount of sweet-smelling herbs which Nicodemus bought is considerable, about a hundred pounds in weight. It's wrapped in a new linen shroud supplied by Joseph. And it's laid in a sepulchre hewn out of the rock. The sepulchre belonged to Joseph, and we know it had not previously been used. And so the body of Christ is laid in the tomb. The world was in darkness. Mary was the only light still burning on earth. The mother of our Lord, my mother, and all the women who have followed the master from Galilee, after taking careful note of everything, also take their leave. Night falls. And so we're told in the way of the cross, now it is all over. The work of our redemption has been accomplished. We're now children of God because Jesus has died for us and his death has ransomed us. Empty enim estis pretio magno. You and I have been bought at a great price. I heard a story many years ago of a man in another country who used to buy supplies for a very big organization. And he had a foreign supplier who offered him a huge bribe, a six-figure sum that was going to go directly into his bank account. Nobody would know. But this man, who tried to lead a plan of life, who did spiritual reading every day, who did a period of prayer, tried to do apostolate, he said no. And the foreign supplier was a bit surprised because he'd never been refused before. And also this was a very large sum of money. And so the supplier said to this man, okay, he said, but I will find your price. 
because every man has his price. And while he was driving home that night, this man was thinking to himself, I wonder if it's true that every man has his price. And if it's true, well, I wonder what my price is, because I've just refused such, refused such a huge amount of money. And when he got home each evening, he had the custom of reading a few passages from the New Testament, sometimes a chapter, sometimes a phrase or two, sometimes a word. And he opened his New Testament and the, the book fell open at the first letter of St. Peter, chapter 1, verse 18. And he read, you know, you were redeemed from your vain manner of life, not with perishable things, with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And he thought to himself, ah, this is my price. I have been redeemed at a great price. And so what a fool I would be to sell my soul for anything less. And so the way of the cross continues, we must bring into our own life, to make them our own, the life and death of Christ. We must die through mortification and penance, so that Christ may live in us through love. And then follow in the footsteps of Christ, with a zeal to co-redeem all mankind. We must give our life for others. That is the only way to live the life of Jesus Christ and to become one of the same thing with him. Christ on the cross, what's he thinking about? What's he dreaming about? Well, he's thinking and dreaming about souls because that's why he died. And so these are good moments to try and foster in our soul that the zeal to co-redeem all mankind, to try and fashion our hearts after the heart of Christ that yearns for souls. And when we go to our prayer, those are very special moments to talk to our Lord about souls. There must be nothing else that our Lord yearns for us to talk to him about than souls. People that we're involving ourselves with, people whose spiritual welfare we're concerned about, asking him for this soul, for that soul, for this conversation, for that conversation, for this friend, for that friend, how to keep all our contacts warm so that we keep very close to all of our friends. We don't know where the apostles were on that evening when the body of Christ was buried. All we know is that they weren't around. Perhaps they were hovering around, disoriented, confused, aimless, distraught, filled with sadness. That's how people are when they lose sight of Christ. If we see them together again on Sunday, united once more, it's because on Saturday or perhaps on the evening on Friday, they had turned to Our Lady. And with her faith, her hope and her love, she protected the pre-born or about-to-be-born church, still weak and startled, 
It's a reminder to us as Our Lady took care of and nurtured that pre-born church or about to be born church. What we also have to do for the pre-born reminds us of how Pope St. John Paul II in the Gospel of Life tells us that we have to be unconditionally pro-life. And so this was how the church was born, under the cloak of Our Lady. And so from the very beginning, she has been the comforter of the afflicted, of those under pressure. How relevant and appropriate it is that Pope Francis has has approved for inclusion in the Litany of Loretto, that aspiration, comforter of migrants. As though this moment in time, Our Lady wants to place her cloak through each one of us, around all those people who have to flee, who are under pressure or going through a difficult moment, so that we help them to look forward to the future in faith and hope. And so this Saturday, when everyone fulfilled the festival day of rest as the law required, it was perhaps not a completely sad day for Our Lady because her son had stopped suffering. There's a new piece as she looks forward to the future. And so she serenely awaits the moment of the resurrection. And for that reason... That may have been the reason why she did not accompany the holy women who went to embalm the dead body of Jesus. Because Mary has kept all these things carefully in her heart. Somehow she knows what's coming. She has a deeper understanding of all the words of her son. And so we ought always to have immediate resort that endlessly burning light in our lives, which is Our Lady. And even more so, if on some occasion we have lost Christ, or we have left him and found ourselves to be lost, having abandoned sacrifice and the cross, just as the apostles did, we're in good company. But she will bring us back to hope, And she will bring hope back to us. And so St. John Damascene says, Our Lady is rest for those who work, consolation for those who weep, medicine for the sick, a harbour for those assailed by tempests, pardon for sinners, sweet relief for the sad, succour for those who implore. Beside her we're able to live the immense joy of the resurrection. We're told in St. John that Our Lady was standing by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. These women are standing, they're full of strength. They haven't run away. Makes us look to the women in difficult moments. Women stand beside the cross. They're not leaning up against the cross or complaining about the cross or running away from the cross. It's a reminder to us that joy and happiness in this world have their roots in the form of a cross. 
And Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. It might have been easier for our Lord if our lady had not been there, not having to witness this butchery. But our Lord has to endure everything. And so his mother has also to be present. And so he chooses this moment to give us and the whole of humanity to Our Lady as our mother. Woman, behold your child. Look at your child and never stop looking at your child. And so we know that in all the moments of our life, in moments of failure, low moments, difficult moments, challenging moments, Our Lady is always looking at us, looking at us in a special way because that's what her son asked her to do in his dying moments. Look at your child. Look at your child and never stop looking at your child. There were many other maternal moments in our Lord's life, in Bethlehem, in Nazareth, in Egypt, when our Lord could have opened his eyes and said, look at your mother. But he chose us this moment when his side has been pierced by a lance and when her heart has been pierced by a spiritual sword. As though telling us in all the difficult moments of our life, our mother is there for us. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. Look at your mother. He turns to the whole of humanity and tells humanity to look at our lady and never stop looking at her. And so on this Holy Saturday, we could think about our Marian piety, how to make every Saturday in our life special, perhaps praying the Hail Holy Queen on that particular day, or making a visit to a shrine of hers, or helping our family to be a little bit more aware of Our Lady as Saturday, as our day on Saturdays. <clears throat> so they grow up with this great awareness of Mary on Saturday. Or possibly saying her rosary as a family. Some little thing that marks out this day in some special way. Venerable Fulton Sheen liked to say that he always, throughout the whole of his life, tried to say the Mass of Our Lady on Saturdays as a reflection of his own personal devotion. And many saints have done similar things. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. St. John was entrusted with the care of Our Lady. Blessed Alvaro had liked to say that St. John is the one that speaks most about charity in his gospel. And it's to him that the care of Our Lady was entrusted. And so he makes this parallel that from the extra exposure that St. John has to Our Lady, he writes more about love in his gospel. We could also imagine, as St. John Paul has mentioned, how <clears throat> during that time when she was in the home of St. John, he must have celebrated Mass. Our Lady would have been present at the Masses of St. John. She would have received the body of Christ from his hands in those Masses. With what fervor would Our Lady have received the body of her son? Each one was like a reliving of the moment of the Annunciation, 
when she said, be it done unto me according to your word. And now all the tough moments have passed. And so Mary receives her son with a special intimacy, a special piety, special solemnity. In our Thanksgiving after Mass, we could try and be mindful of those communions of Our Lady. After this, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Our Lord was not just thirsting for physical, material liquid or fluid, but he was thirsting for souls, the passion and the redemption are all about souls. The cross is all about souls. When we offer up the little crosses of each day or the big crosses of our life for souls, they become easier to bear. We find a great apostolic purpose in saying yes to the crosses that God permits in our life. Now that we're standing there, a vessel full of common wine, and having put a sponge soaked with the wine on a stalk of hyssop, they put it to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had taken the wine, he said, it is accomplished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. The reminder to us what death is all about. It's a separation of the body from the soul. Christ's body was on the cross. It's going to be taken down and laid in a tomb. But the creed is telling us that his soul descended into hell. It was not the hell of the damned. And possibly the hell like purgatory or limbo where souls who are waiting for the opening of the gates of heaven are placed a place close to hell where he shows his dominion over the devil that he is conquered and a place where he gives hope to those souls that are waiting and so his soul is very active as his body is placed in the tomb the Jews, therefore, since it was the preparation day, in order that the bodies might not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, the Sabbath was a solemn day, they besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. And so they try to find a way to hasten death. They therefore came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers opened his side with a lance, and immediately there came out blood and water. Some of the saints in history have liked to call this a fons vitae, a fountain of life. A fountain of the sacramental life of the church. All the graces that are needed to wash away our sins, they flow from the wounded side of Christ. All the graces that mankind will ever need for the whole of eternity flowed from that wounded side. And so it's a very significant wound. And he who saw it has borne witness that his witness is true. And he knows that he tells the truth that you also may believe. St. John makes particular witness, a particular mention of the witness that is given to this particular event. He who has seen it 
has borne witness. So this is something special, not to go unnoticed. An event, a wound that has great significance for all time. For these things came to pass that the scripture might be fulfilled, not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture that says, they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. A couple of years ago, Pope Benedict suggested as a motto for the whole of Lent, to take this phrase of scripture, they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. As though inviting us to contemplate the wounds of Christ. This is a good day to contemplate Christ on the cross, or the dead Christ being taken down from the cross. We contemplate in order to see, and each year there are new lights for us to see new things. Now after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, because he was a disciple of Jesus, although for fear of the Jews, a secret one, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave permission. He came therefore and took away the body of Jesus and there also came Nicodemus, who at first had come to Jesus by night, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes in weight about a hundred pounds. They therefore took the body of Jesus and wrapped it in linen clothes and spices after the Jewish manner of preparing for burial. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. They accordingly, because of the preparation day of the Jews, for the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus. And so the story of the Passion ends. It ends with the end of suffering, with the conquering of sin, of death, of the devil. And now the church looks forward in hope and excitement. To that moment when the darkness will be dispelled, a new light signified by the Easter candle is going to be lit on the earth. A new light for our minds, for our hearts. Christ is the true light who will never be taken away. Walk while you have the light. And so for the moment we walk beside Our Lady the light of Holy Saturday who's going to give way to the true light, which will last forever. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations that you have communicated to me during this meditation. I ask your help to put them into practice. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.